Welcome to another episode of Records Revisit, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who hits the streets running to try and beat the masses because he goes out and he gets himself some cheap sunglasses. Here's my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. How mean? So for this episode, we have a special guest. We'll talk about how we got referred to to him. His most recent records include All Time Present from 2019 and a live record this year entitled People's Motel Band, and that's with Garcia Peoples. So please welcome to the podcast, Chris Forsyth. Hey, guys. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're, uh, good. We're, we're hanging in there. Yeah. Well, we'll... we'll We'll, we'll chat some. We'll chat some more here in a minute. But the best, uh, best we can ask for these days. Absolutely. So, uh, premise of our podcast: fairly simple. We talk about music, but we uh, we ask the all important question at the beginning of each podcast episode. I'm going to start with you, Wayne. So, uh, what T-shirt are you wearing? I feel like I've been wearing Harley Davidson shirts a lot lately, but this one is from Cancun, Mexico, and I just, uh, in fact, the the. The picture on the front has like this skull, like Ghost Rider riding a Harley Davidson. Just made me think of the El Diablo. Oh, there you go. Okay, nice, nice tie-in there. How many Harley Harley shirts do you own? Uh, I, 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 I have several. I had 24, 25. People used nice. to get them for me whenever somebody'd be going out of town. I'd say, hey, if you go by the Harley shop, grab me a shirt. You have so, a problem. Yeah, I got. A, I got. I stopped after I crashed a Harley. There, it wasn't a Harley. It was a Buell, but I, I crashed it. So then I stopped buying shirts. I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe this, maybe I need to take a step back. <laughs> there you go. How about you, Chris? What T-shirt are you wearing? I'm wearing the same T-shirt that I wear pretty much every day, which is just a a black pocket T-shirt. Uh, utilitarian gets the job done. I can put something up there in the pocket if I need it to. Okay. Don't have to think about it. I take. I like to take the, uh, you know, like the Albert Einstein approach to uh, clothing. You know, just have seven of the same thing in the closet every day or every week, and just grab it. Don't think about it. I was going to say that's like a Steve Jobs type of mentality too, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I guess so. I, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna lean toward more Einstein, but yeah, sure, maybe that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, either either one is a genius, but you know, we'll go, we'll go with that. All yeah. Right. Um. So Wayne, I'm I'm wearing a new shirt, so I I got to uh, give props to my friend Ginger. So she sent me a T-shirt that she uh, she bought for me um, about a year ago. So she finally sent it to me. So it's uh, the Rack and Tours. Oh, nice. Yeah, Love I figured that. you would uh, you would appreciate that. So. Rocking a new T-shirt. That's always a nice feeling. Yeah, it's good. All right, so um, so Chris, you were a referral from a recent guest, Steve Wynn. Yes, indeed. And he said you were probably going to be disappointed because he picked Marky Moon from television for the record he wanted to revisit. <laughs> that's that's very funny of him to say that, and uh, um. But I'm glad that he took it because it takes it off the deck, kind of clears the deck for me to be able to talk about other things. Because because a, a lot of people ask me about Marky Moon, and I of course have strong you know feelings about it. But uh, you know, I, I, like Richard Lloyd taught me how to play the guitar and stuff. So um, there's a lot of 
kind of uh, deep stuff there. But it's sometimes, sometimes it's nice to clear the decks and just, you know, open it up to all the other things I'm interested in, too. Yeah, that's why I brought that up, because I'm uh, Steve had mentioned that uh, you had learned from from Richard. So how far back was that? And and do you still keep in contact with Richard? Sure. Yes, I, I keep in contact with Richard and I studied with him for about a year and a half in the sort of uh, 98, 99. OK. Uh, so, yeah, over 20 years ago at this point. But um I was living in New York at the time. Uh, I guess I was in my mid to late twenties. Um, and you know, I'd been playing the guitar for since I was 13 or so. And, um, but totally self-taught, you know, post punk rock. I don't need lessons kind of approach, which is, you know, which I, I on the one hand, I, I, I still embrace, but on the other hand, I, I, you know, especially after having spent time learning from Richard and soaking up some of his knowledge, you know, I, I it's, I, I realized that, uh, you know, that, that, that attitude also sort of destroyed about, you know, like a, a, a couple generations of guitar players because, you know, Richard being the, you know, one of the lead guitar players in, you know, what people might call the first punk band in New York, arguably was, super curious he wanted to know how music worked you know he was like maybe i'll only use three chords but that's going to be a choice you know like uh he's you know he's very uh very heady guy and um and again curious i think that's the main main thing so he you know he i i feel privileged that he passed on some of that stuff to me because they were uh he and television as a whole were, you know, a huge band for me from a very young age. So when I saw that I could take lessons from him, uh, I mean, I saw a, like a poster, this is all pre-internet or, I mean, the internet existed, but it was like, there were still people in rehearsal rooms that hung up a sign with like little tabs at the bottom of it with phone numbers on them saying, if you need guitar lessons, take one from Richard Lloyd. So, you know, I snagged one and, uh, called him up was like, you gotta be kidding me. Um, right. Right. So, were you yeah. thinking you were getting punked <laughs> by, by that the, by that uh, particular advertisement? Because at the time, no, because it was in a it was on a you know like a cork board among a sea of advertisements like that. It's, this was the only one that said that Richard Lloyd was giving lessons. But then again, you know, at the in the late nineties, it's not like Richard's career was like pumping full speed. Like at that point, he was probably best known as having played on the Matthew Sweet records and stuff, yeah, uh, which were great. And the, that John Doe record from the 90s that he played on and a couple other things. But, um, you know, uh, television was still on a hiatus at that point. And, uh, you know, he was, I mean, he was, you know, giving lessons, I think, you know, uh, because he's a, he is a, an inquisitive and uh, sort of, academic person and on one hand, but also, you know, that's how he was making money. Yeah. Got to pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which were the, the Matthew sweet records that he played on? I know he played on girlfriend. He played on girlfriend and I think a hundred percent fun. Is that the one that's right after it? Yeah. 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 He played on those two. And it's funny because I think, um, that at around the time that I was studying with him, he had, uh, you know, he had some sort of professional falling out with Matthew Sweet, which I think Richard has had with a lot of people. 
Um, and, uh, and I, but I do remember innocently asking him about that or something, or maybe like I had seen, you know, maybe Matthew Sweet was on like SNL or something like that, like around the time that I was studying with him. And he was just sort of like, oh yeah, yeah. I may have seen that that was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert for our listeners. We're getting ready to do a uh, Matthew Sweet episode, but it's not either of those two records. Mm. Altered Beast. Oh yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So. Also great. He maybe is Richard on that one too. He might be. I'm not sure. That's why I was asking because yeah. I, I, I think he might be. He played with him for quite a few years, and I think you know, girlfriend yeah. was like totally like a studio thing. But then I think Richard got on the touring. Uh, I mean, in addition to playing on the records, he he toured with him quite a lot. And that and then you know, I, when I started studying with Richard, it was '98 or so. So that's maybe around that you know, like that cycle yeah. might have ended around that time. Yeah. I, I haven't done enough research on the personnel yet. I've listened to it a couple of times, but I haven't done the, the deep dive. Wayne, okay. have you done any of the research yet? I have not gotten started. Yeah. Okay. I think, so. I think uh, when I mentioned Matthew Sweet to Richard, one of the things that he said to me that, that I remember is that he said to me, have you ever been to Japan? I said, nope. He said, I was on tour with Matthew in Japan. He's like, you know how much a sandwich and a coffee costs in Japan? I was like, no, I don't. He was like, $75, <laughs> which yeah. may or may not be true. I don't know. But I was like, okay, good to know. I feel like he got taken. <laughs> tour strap. All right. Well, enough about Richard Lloyd. We want to talk about your music too. So. Sure. Yeah. Um, so let me preface because I, I listened to some of your music uh, over the last couple of weeks and I had a conversation with a friend recently about how we listen to music. So we kind of narrowed it down that there's two types of music. There's music that you put on and you can have on as like background music while you're like working, while you're mowing the lawn, while you're taking a walk, that kind of deal where you don't have to overthink it. And then there's music that you have to sit back and you listen to and you'll like really focus. And that's usually because for me, I'm a lyric guy. So I'm, I'm looking and listening to the deep lyrics and then considering that your music doesn't have a whole lot of lyrics to them. Um, I'm throwing that completely out the door as far as there's two types of music because I caught myself listening to your music because I was just kind of in awe of the musicianship. Um, it still was great background music, by the way. Um, if anybody wants some great mowing the lawn, like I was completely motivated by listening to your record um, while I'm mowing the lawn the other day. So, so thank you, I guess. That's great. That. I'm, I'm glad that it has some utility and, uh, <laughs> and I'm, and I'm glad that I may have found a third way for you, you know, like that's, that's great. It's all about expanding the possibilities. Yeah. So, so if, when you describe your music to, to, to people, when they, they, when they meet you and you say, well, I'm, I'm a musician, I have a number of records out. How, how are you describing your music to people? I mean, you know, it's never, it's never a, a comfortable or easy conversation, but this is the way that I think about it. Uh, and I think this speaks to the record that I chose to talk about for the podcast here. I mean, I'm a, I'm a guy that, you know, grew up on rock music, like meat and potatoes 
60s, 70s rock music. Also, you know, of the age that, uh, you know, the sort of 80s sort of underground, our band could be your life type bands were part of my life. Um, and then, you know, through that, I, I start, I kind of faded out on contem- most contemporary rock music in the late 90s. I just kind of stopped paying attention. Yeah. But, but I guess, but what I'm trying to say is that I feel like my roots are 100% rock music, rock and roll, but mainly rock music, if you want to get into a discussion about, you know, those two terms. But, um, but the, do, you, do you know the, the acoustic guitar player, John Fahey, by chance? I do. Yeah. So this is, this, and, 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 and I don't mean this to sound, uh, you know, uh, highfalutin or anything, but I, I think that what, like my approach to rock music is, uh, in my mind, what I'm, what I'm aiming for is sort of like what I suspect or what I pro- have projected that I think that Fahey was trying to do to blues music. So blues was a basically vocal music mm-hmm. with guitars, but like, can you name a, an instrumental blues guitarist before John Fahey? I cannot. So he took the form of the blues and then combined it with some other stuff, you know, like uh, experimental music and classical music, things that he was interested in, but really like the gut bucket feeling of the blues, but he kind of deconstructed it and stretched it out. And so like a blues, like a, you know, like a blues, a blind Blake song or a Robert Johnson song that might be like, you know, a minute and 50 seconds long or something like that, you know, Fahey can take that and turn it into like this, you know, nine minute Fantasia or something. And I feel like that's what my relationship is with rock music. Like I'm trying to take the tropes of rock music and just mix them up, uh, stretch them out. Often the things that I love about rock music are, or any music are often these like moments that I just wish lasted longer. So like, I mean, you know, an obvious example is like, I don't know, like the jumping Jack flash riff, like why doesn't that go on for like four or five minutes or 10 minutes or something, you know, like that, this right. is, the, this is the proposition that I'm kind of, uh, coming at listeners with. So, um, and you know, I, I didn't, I didn't begin singing. I mean, I, I, I did some lyric writing when I was younger, but I, I basically veered off the kind of, you know, writing three minute songs with vocals a long time ago and have started to kind of fold that back in, in the last, I don't know, three to five years or something like that. But, um, you know, the main thing is this sort of like very focused instrumental, uh, interest in rock music without being, you know, but I, at the same time, like I'm, I'm, I'm not interested in like uh, drift or, you know, like I'm not a prog guy really. Although a lot of people that I think focus on my music sometimes connect that to it. But like, I'm like a, you know, power pop guy, like a, like a short, sharp bang, like hit you with riffs guy. So even if I have a song that maybe is like 12 minutes long, I'm hoping that there's no downtime in that song. You know what I mean? Like, like that's my, that's my thing. I'm about, I'm, I'm trying to find hooks and explore the textures of rock music in a compelling way. And everything that you're describing is my definition of dream syndicate. So I completely (laughs) understand why you, you and Steve are are pals. So yeah, yeah. totally get that. Yeah. Cause I, 
so the so the reason why I was I was you know asking how would you describe it is so a couple of weeks ago uh, we uh, we rented a cabin in the middle of nowhere Georgia and I spent some time in Macon and um, driving through Macon my immediate reaction is I put on Almond Brothers sure. And that's, that's what I listened to for, I don't know, probably an hour and a half until my wife finally said, you know, enough with these 12 minute long songs. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 cause she is, she is definitely of the formulaic three minute pop song and, you know, you, you, you get the catchy hook, you get the jumping Jack flash and then you move on sure. to the next, to the next catch, catchy pop hook, you know? Um, so, so that's why I was asking, cause I hear, I hear those blues influences. I hear the, a little bit of that jam band, the Allman brothers, grateful dead, but I also hear some of that experimental tones. Like I always tell people my favorite guitarist out there is Nels Klein. Oh I'm yeah. Huge, huge Nels, Nels fan. I'm a big Wilco fan, but um, I don't consider myself a jazz guy, but I, I love his jazz stuff too. Sure. And, uh, and probably because it's not, it's not the, the stereotypical jazz. He's kind of just doing his own thing. Absolutely. And it's, no, N- Nels, Nels is amazing. And here's a, here's a Nels anecdote for you. I guess the, the, the first time I met Nels was so picking up on the thread, I lost interest in rock music in the nineties. Right. And I was like in New York and I was spending a lot of time going to these like free improv shows and uh, free jazz and other kinds yeah. of, um, you know, uplifting music for gormandizers at the time type deals. And, uh, and I was really into the flow that you could get into in that music, uh, you know, that didn't depend on, um, you know, staying in, in, in a, in a key, for example, or something, you know, you could just sort of like right. get louder, get softer, get, you know, wiggier, get more mellow, whatever. And, 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 and for somebody who was still, I think in retrospect, still really kind of learning how to play the guitar, that was an attractive skill set to pick up. And so anyway, I was doing this, like I had this improv duo and we went out to play a gig in LA and this is before, this is, I think, 1999, maybe 2000. Um, before Nails joined Wilco. Right. This was, I think yeah. this was 99 or so. And so I was like, "What? Who? who's doing this kind of music in Los Angeles? And I was aware of Nails. And so I sent him a postcard. <laughs> this is like, I didn't send him an email. I didn't send him a text. I sent him a postcard. And I was yeah. like, Nels, I'm playing at the Knitting Factory in los angeles on this date like please come by i'll you know i'd happy to get you put you on the guest list and i'd love to meet and hear have you hear the music and uh went out there for the gig which ended up getting bumped to a later time because there was a comedy show and anyway <laughs> it, you know it was like it was a total spinal tap like underground yeah. spinal tap moment like there was nobody there but nels was there and so um after the show, you know, whatever, as usual, we went on and we did our thing, uh, you know, as energetically and committedly as we could. And um, after the show, I t- chatted with Nels and we, Nels said to me, here's my new CD, which was the Destroy All Nels Klein CD, which I think was out at the time on Ecstatic Peace. And he said, 
this sounds like Motley Crue compared to what you guys were just doing. But, <laughs> <laughs> but so we've, we've stayed in touch a little bit, uh, you know, over the years, but yeah, nothing, nothing but respect and love for Nels. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and he's okay with the, you know, the nine to 12 minute long songs as well. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so the question that I have, um, so I listened to your, your two most recent records that's out there on Spotify, the live one and, uh, the one previous. So how do you, how do you translate a 15 minute long song like dreaming in the non dream, um, to the stage? Like, are you, do you just kind of memorize all of the, all of the chords and licks and all the other progression stuff that you're doing? Um, or like, are you, are you one of these people who, you know, takes meticulous notes of, and, and puts everything down on paper? Uh, neither really. It's, it's kind of, I mean, the way that the song is performed live is more or less the same way it was recorded, which is like, um, although the, actually the benefit of performing it live is that, you know, when you're performing it live, you may have, or we, you know, we've, we've played it a bunch of times since then. So some sort of cues or formats start to develop the, I mean, when we recorded that song, you know, we were just winging it really. Uh, okay. Um, I mean, there's, you know, the, the, I, I, I've played that song with a few different bands, um, you know, or groups of musicians. And so my sort of chart for that song basically says like, you know, B seven groove. Uh, if you, if you pick an idea, stay with it for a little while. And if you're going to make another idea, like commit to it, <laughs> like, uh, and that's it. Like, uh, so it's, again, it's this way of trying to make largely improvised music, uh, sound, you know, committed and compelling and not searching. Like the idea is that it's there. And I think that as a, you know, as a musician, whether you're talking about a, uh, people that are trying to perform or record something that's very well composed or somebody that's like improvising, um, it's so hard to judge a performance in the moment. Yeah. as a musician, like it, it, I think any musician will tell you that, um, that I like to try to just, uh, exploit that and give people the freedom to, you know, not be judging themselves at all times while they're playing and just go for it. And, um, you know, it, I mean, that's, that's where it's interesting to me, like where, where something is happening. And I think that's, that goes back to my, you know, you know, youthful interest in television or, uh, sure. You know, I mean, I really, if you go back to it, any kind of that classic rock stuff, I mean, those guys were winging it, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. largely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, okay. The Beatles were like, you know, and the beach boys or whatever, but like you take like live performing guitar bands, whether it's Led Zeppelin or the stones or, uh, you know, take your pick. There was a lot of, sort of jazz energy in those performances. And it was not about replicating the recording. It was about, you know, finding something uh, in the moment that was, yeah. you know, energetically compelling.
I like to put in uh, sound clips of you know the the, the guests that we have, and I got to tell you, uh, it's going to be really hard for me to figure out a good forty-five second sound clip for some of your songs. Uh, so so where 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 should I start for sound clips to 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 introduce some of our listeners who may not be familiar with your music? Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll text you some uh, cue points perhaps, but yeah, I, mean, okay. I, think, the yeah, records, yeah, I think the records you're talking about are, are on the spot. I mean, you know, uh, the people's motel band record, I think the, the version of dreaming and the non-dream on that. If, if, if somebody said to me, play me the best thing, the best representation of your music, I would play that. Um, I love that song. I think, yeah, I think also, you know, tomorrow might as well be today. The first song on the all time present record, that that is like a, you know, I think yeah, you know, it's like a three and a half minute like bang bang bang, like here's your hooks song. So it's like my shrunken down version of what I usually do. Um, so that would be another one. Okay. I do have to ask you before we jump to the uh, record that you chose. So what is it with you and songs that have dreams in the title? Cause I noticed <laughs> dreams number one from, I guess your tw- 2011 record, the one I just mentioned and then dream song from your last record. So you've got, got quite a few uh, songs with dreams in, in the titles. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I think it's, it's a, it's something that I, have wondered about my whole life about, you know, uh, when does reality stop and start, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I guess I have a, uh, active dream life, but sometimes I wonder if what's happening in, you know, quote, real life is, uh, how much of that (laughs) is a dream or not, you know? I mean, the, you know, circumstance 2020. Yes. That's more like nightmare, but yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So who is, who is, uh, is it Rosalie who sings on dream song? Uh-huh. So, Rosalie so Middleman, yep. I don't, I don't know her, but I was completely in, in enthralled by her, her singing on that. Who, who is she? Uh, Rosalie is a, also a very interesting musician in Philly. I mean, I don't know. We've been probably friends for 10 years or more. Um, and she's got, a lot of different endeavors she has. She puts out records as Rosalie, which okay. are, um, and I think she may have a new one 
in the works in the very near future. I think it's recorded and it's probably going to come out in the next six months or so, but you know, that are very crafted songwritery. Uh, and she has, I mean, she has a spectacular singing voice. I mean, she's just like one yeah. of those people that's like, Whoa, you are somebody whose voice is on the next level. Um, which is why I asked her to sing as well as, you know, my just personal connection with her is why I asked her to sing on that song. Um, but she's a great singer. Uh, yeah, she's a, uh, very interesting songwriter. But then she also has another band called Long Hots who sound like, I don't know, like a Velvet Underground bootleg from 1966 or something like, com- okay. like, like you would never, uh, your average person I don't think would ever listen to the two things and be like, oh, the same person is involved in both of those things. <laughs> you know, like she's playing like this super kind of feedbacky kind of uh, electric guitar with really pummeling rhythm section and um it's pretty lo-fi their their aesthetic um but then you know this is in contrast to these you know her her records you know i mean like kind of some of it sounds almost like fleetwood mac or something to me like in that sort of like everything's in its place it's really beautiful the harmonies and everything is just right and um and the songs are great so you know, yeah, I mean, Rosalie is one of my favorite people in Philly. She lives, you know, three blocks away from me or something. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to go check some more stuff. Yeah. Wayne, any, anything for, uh, for Chris, as far as his music before we jump to the record? No, I, but like you said, I was, I wasn't mowing the lawn, but I was, uh, pulling weeds and I got, yeah, I got, tra- I got trapped inside the song and hearing all this music and just, I almost, just working without even thinking. And then uh, one of the songs came on, I think it was mystic mountain and someone started singing. And the first thing I thought is, well, this is odd. Like I, I didn't even realize, but I was in a place where I just was tired of hearing people talk. And so it was great to just hear, (laughs) just hear, you know, you get, and it reminded me of back, but I was at the late eighties, early nineties when guitar, uh, instrumentalists, you know, Steve Vai and Eric Johnson and Joe Satriani got real big and, and I remember being into that and thinking, wow, I, I did miss that. I miss just hearing, you know, a, a rock composition, something with, you know, still, you know, modern, but with all of the, you know, the technicalities of, of like classical music. And then no one's, no one's speaking for a while. Everybody be quiet for a little bit. Well, you know, yeah. there's, some, there's something to be said for not pinning everything down with words, you know? I mean, I, I mean, I love, I love a great turn of phrase and, and uh, you know, like a you know great song singer songwriters, but uh, you know there's something also about. I mean, the beauty of music is that it's the most abstract art. Like, like if you the, you know if you think about it, visual art right got abstract what, 150 years ago or something, and at the time it was scandalous. But now you go to the dentist office and there's you know some psh, 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 splashy abstract mm-hmm. thing on the wall, and it's like relaxing and you know you're like oh yes i'm in the right place i'm i shouldn't be nervous about going to the dentist (laughs) whereas if you play you know abstract music to people they're like turn it off man what are you trying to do make my blood pressure go up and that's absolutely not my interest but like i think there is uh an inclination for people to want to hear that human voice in it and i I share that uh you know i mean I, i you know, people, you know, Steve is a great example. I love, I love Steve's music with his uh, vocals and his singing. 
and his lyrics, but, um, you know, there's something to be said for like, just letting the sound take over as well. Why do you think that, uh, why do you think that in the last, uh, I would say 20 years, we don't, we don't see a lot of those guitar virtuosos, um, out in the forefront anymore. Like back in the day it was, Hey, you know, that, you know, you, you brought up the Joe Satriani and, um, I'm sure there's, there's some other ones that I'm, I'm probably missing, uh, you know, Johnny Lang or, you know, some of those other guitar virtuosos, like we don't hear of those anymore. Why, why is that? Well, I mean, you know, I think that, uh, rock music at this point is in a position. I mean, my perspective on it is that it's in a position that's not dissimilar to the way that jazz was say in like the forties or fifties, like, you know, 15 or 20 years ago or more, it was popular music, but other things have kind of overtaken it. And so like the, the people that are still uh, interested in that idiom are kind of taking it down a deeper path, which is arguably more interesting in some ways, or, but it's basically, it's become art music and not pop music, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm fine with that. I don't, I, that's not a value judgment in either way, because I like a lot of pop music too. Um, but I just think that's got to do with, you know, obviously the, the structure of, you know, guitar, bass, drums, and vocals was something that was like a boomer thing that was innovative <laughs> in, you know, 1965 and was really interesting for like, you know, 20 or 30 years after that to a lot of people and, you know, things yeah. change. That's what happens, you know? But I mean, like I have, I have friends and people that I admire who are, you know, jazz musicians. I don't think that what they're doing is useless. I think that it's very, very, very interesting. It's just not pop music anymore, you know? Yeah. All right. So there are still some of them out there. They're not all playing video games instead of practicing their guitar for six hours a day. For sure. Okay. You just, just gotta look, to, you got to look. You just got to look. We a need little, to find them. You got to you got to hunt around on Bandcamp a little harder to find. Yeah. Maybe. I guess so. I guess so. All right. Well, um, Chris, tell us what record you chose to revisit for this episode. Oh, the great ZZ Top Tejas record from Very what seventy six? I think it came out. Yeah. Yes. Seventy six. Yes. I was three years old. I was not. I was seven. Yeah, we were seven. Um, what were what were some other records besides television that you would have uh, you, you you may have picked? I'm not a great list guy. I'm kind of compulsive, and uh, <laughs> things that I'm interested in at the moment are things I'm like, yeah, let's talk about that. Um, that said, like I've loved this record for a really long time, and I've loved ZZ Top for a really long time, um, and you know, I just I just thought this was uh, this is this is a sort of like the the in a way that I think the black sheep of the ZZ top catalog for those who are paying, although maybe for those who are paying attention, they're like, yeah, I was, I would say the opposite. Yeah. Super into it. Like it's, it's the, it, but it's the only ZZ top record that doesn't have a big radio hit on it, for example, or, or the no, only one after, you know, Trey hombres or something, but you know, it's, it's, I think it's a really uh, unusual and unique record because it, it, is like an arena rock album, but it's also kind of like a closet experimental music album. Like to me, it sounds like 
this record is like an American version of one of those Brian Eno records from the late seventies, like yeah. here come the warm jets or something. I totally get that. Cause every song is so it's like, you can tell they're a ZZ top song, but there's, they're all so different really. I mean, yeah. nothing, you know, no two songs. I mean, there's a couple songs, I guess I, towards the back of the middle that I thought maybe sounded like some stuff I'd heard before, but really out of the gate, they just, each song is bluesy, but it's so different. The production, bluesy. the production is kind of crazy. Like records didn't sound like this in 1976, you know? Um, and I think that specifically if you, if you, if you listen in on it, there's like, the guitar, the guitar orchestrations are like as amazing or more amazing than anything that say Jimmy Page ever did, uh, in my mind. And, you know, it's a totally different approach to then like the ZZ top live show, which is like power trio, you know, Les Paul Marshall, like we're going to, you know, lay it on you. The, the, this record is like super layered. There's a lot of like, I, th- I think there's a lot of, uh, guitars that are recorded direct, which was not a normal thing that people did then. Um, there's a lot of chorus on the guitars. There's a lot of guitar sounds that I think 10 years later, lots of people sound like the mainstream sounded like that, like Miami vice or dire Straits <laughs> or something like that, you know, but in 1976, this was like very weird in my mind. So I, and and I think that, you know, uh, knowing, Billy Gibbons whole trip. Um, you know, I, I think that he's, uh, a very, uh, you know, I think that he's a, a sponge that was aware of a lot of things and he was like pushing it through this filter of like, yeah, we're the boogie rock band that everybody wants to go out and drink Budweiser and smoke weed to, but like, we're going to lay all this sonic information on you. Um, that, that, that's, that's my, um, uh, you know, relation to yeah. it. So, so this week I, I, I listened to a number of other ZZ top records. So El Loco is, that was, that was my favorite from back in the day. I, I had, I don't know, I had three or four ZZ top cassette tapes back in the day. That was, that was one of them. Um, I listened to Fandango, listened to uh, Trace Ombres. Fandango is the, semi live one right yeah half live half is live yeah yeah and and so i i totally get what you're talking about chris with the 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 power trio thing that they were doing you can totally hear that in the live stuff but then you listen to this and yeah it's it's different and i i would say i meant to re-listen to uh, eliminator because um you know that's that's kind of our 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 wheelhouse yeah. right wayne sure yeah. our our, well, our formative yeah, well, years i would say that was the first thing i remember hearing and then i don't know if it was 10 or 15 you see it was a while back um i think i was at the library and i saw the their their greatest hits or whatever the further the best of zz top or something and i i got that and i was i was blown away like i how bluesy it is and and Going back in, I mean, songs like Backdoor, uh, Love Affair, and Francine, and uh, just all this really cool stuff. And so I just dove into it. And I would say probably my top 10 favorite ZZ Top songs, none of them come from that. None of them are, are they're all before Eliminator. Yeah. Uh, 
Rough Boy is maybe on Afterburners, maybe the only one that might sleep, sneak in there. I really like that song. But I mean, stuff like, you know, Heard It on the X and uh, uh, I think my yeah. favorite's probably Fool for Your Stockings. And, mm-hmm. you know, all of that stuff is just so much better. Like, I get it that they they got the... They they took off with that, and then they did it for what three albums, I think. Yeah. Um, but I could definitely see like hardcore ZZ Top fans from you know that were kind of with them early on, definitely not liking that stuff. Well, this is this is why ZZ Top is, of course, they're a rock band, but they're really a pop band. Like they changed, mm-hmm. and with oh, the yeah. with the times, uh, and uh, especially in the eighties, very astutely, you know. And I think that. I mean, I, you know, I love Eliminator. I love that 80s stuff. Uh, I mean, hell, like you listen to, listen to Give Me All Your Love, the guitars on Give Me All Your Lovin' and compare them to the guitars on, you know, My Bloody Valentine, Loveless or something. Like that's pretty, that's a, <laughs> there's like, that's a good, like, like AB right there. You know, like there's, there, there's a lot of like similar attention to detail and uh, just, the timbre and texture of the sound is like super deep. I mean, of course in the, you know, eliminator version, it's also like, you know, just over this, like boom, cha, boom, cha, boom, cha drum machine. And like, you know, sure. Like they're, 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 they're feeding it to the Beverly Hills cop crowd. Um, (laughs) But that was, you know, that's what they always did. I think, you know, just like in the seventies, they were like, you guys want the boogie. We'll bring you the boogie. We can do that. You know, yeah. So it's, yeah. you know, it's interesting. Did you, did you ever hear the, uh, did you ever listen to the, oh, what, well, well, there's two, there's two Mark Marin podcasts actually <laughs> that come into play with this. One is the Billy Gibbons one, which is great. But then the I other one is, is the uh, Matt Sweeney interview on, on Marin where, and he's, he's a guitar player that's played with tons of people. Uh, I mean, he was in this band Chavez back in the nineties and he's a little bit of a, Zelig sort of character who's been at all sorts of interesting points in music. Um, and he, he tells this story about how um, at some point, I guess maybe in the aughts or something, he got connected with Billy Gibbons to get together and maybe try to throw some ideas around, maybe make a record or something. And that he told Billy Gibbons like that he was really aware of, you know, Rocky Erickson and the moving sidewalks and these sort of, Austin okay. psych bands from the sixties, which is totally the world that Billy Gibbons came out of. And he, yeah. and he said that Billy Gibbons yeah. was like, damn, you know about that stuff? Like, wow. Okay. Wow. Interesting. And they talked about it. They had, they jammed or whatever. They had some, 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 some talks over a weekend and somehow some idea was hatched about like, maybe, maybe we should try to make some sort of project where Billy Gibbons does like a, psych record you know like return to his roots or something like whatever i don't know what the pitch was but something like that and which sounds amazing to me and he said the you know i don't know a couple months or weeks or something went by and they got back together and the tenor had changed and that he said that billy said to him something like i know what your deal is you're one of those guys that's into like obscure stuff right like you're just into stuff because it's obscure and other people don't know about it. And I, Matt was like, I don't, I, not exactly. I mean, I'm into obscure stuff, but that's not, not, not because, you know, I don't, not because other people don't know it. It's because I think other people maybe should know it. And Billy Gibbons said, what's the point of doing something if there's not going to be 25,000 people there? 
like why even bother and the point was like that, that that i think matt was making and that i took from it too was like you know these guys of that and they were all guys almost from that uh era maybe were making phenomenal art but it was really about making money and you know meeting girls and right. maybe some great art happened in the vibe in the in the process you know, and the, you know, paid, you know, got interested in some recording techniques and did this and that, but like, really, like, I mean, what's the point of doing it if you're not going to make a million bucks at it? Like why even bother? Which is, I think there's like the, you know, that's like the kind of split I feel like in this sort of, you know, rock as jazz (laughs) sort of mentality, Mm -hmm. which is like, Oh, the art is actually important. Like the music is important. Like, obviously we're not going to make a million dollars doing this. So let's make some cool music. And, um, you know, it sort of gave away a little bit of the ghost about Billy, which was, um, again, not a judgment, but like, you know, those those people were in a certain place in history and were uh, had opportunities to do certain things. And ZZ Top obviously rolled with the punches for, you know, many, many years. Like, this is what this is what sells like, hey, let's do it like this is what sells. Yeah, let's do that. Like. And, you know, I mean, they were a band for, what, 15 years or something like that, or 20 years before Eliminator. Yeah. And uh, that was obviously the biggest hit ever for them. Well, and and I wonder sometimes, I, I feel like those those videos from Eliminator were were done very tongue-in-cheek, where they're like, we, we dare MTV to play these. Yeah. <laughs> like, like... I, I think that they still were being true to their music, but you know, cut, cut, I mean, think about that era. Like Wayne, you you and I grew up in that MTV era. Putting a ZZ Top video next to you know Duran Duran or Madonna, where that those were the good looking people, and then you put ZZ Top on top of them, and they, you know, they got these giant long beards and you know they're they're not they're not attractive people i'll 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 push back on that for a second and say that that's actually zz top's savvy move because sure like they were like in the 70s should we we wear tight jeans and like nudie suits or whatever and like spangles and like do our thing yeah that's cool but then they're like yeah in the 80s yeah we can't compete with duran duran but what can we do we can yeah build a brand we can be kind of funny like everybody kind of likes i mean every like there's a the tongue is permanently in in cheek with zz top you know sure. like especially yeah. with regarding the lyrics and stuff uh and <laughs> we'll and you get know to that yeah and yeah and some of it maybe maybe hasn't aged as well i mean i went to see them i guess two summers ago and it's the first time i had ever seen them and they were terrible man and like uh, I mean, monumental guitar sound, but like it was like time had stopped in 1988 and, you know, yeah. it, it, there was like, you know, giant videos of strippers and like, uh, I mean, it was, there was a lot of humor involved as well, but it was like, it felt like, it felt like maybe the plot had been lost a little bit. So I'm not, although, although later in the show, uh, Billy Gibbons came out and jammed with John Fogarty, who was the headliner, and okay. you know, tore it up. So it, it wasn't about the music; it was more about maybe like the the present choices of presentation. But 
you know, I think they were making choices about presentation just like any, you know, performing artist is going back to the beginning. And, you know, at the same time, the show I saw, like plenty of people were eating it up. So, yeah. Have you, have you watched the documentary on Netflix? I did. Yeah. I watched it once. So it's funny that you would say it's like time stamp, you know, stopped at 1988. Cause I felt like that's where the documentary stopped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did yeah. it not for you, for you guys? I mean, cause I'm like, I know you guys have put out a bunch of other records. I mean, I haven't listened to any of them, but yeah. I know you've put a bunch of records out in, over the last 25 years and you're not going to talk about any of those? Yeah. Well, also, if you notice in that documentary, there is not one mention of Tejas either. No. Not one mention of that album at all, which is, you know, again, Weird. my whole thing here is like, this is the best ZZ Top record. <laughs> but yeah. there was no mention of it, even though the that Worldwide Texas tour they, they talk about, and that was sort of like the tour, I guess it spanned a couple of years, so maybe a couple albums, but this album was part of that, you know, tour cycle um but there's no mention of it whatsoever it's like kind of like in a way like the you know in the popular imagination it's the lost zz top record in like the in the in the head's imagination it's like the best zz top record at least that's the way i look at it (laughs) all right well uh let me throw out some bio info and then we'll 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 start going through the track by track so this was fifth studio album uh, like you mentioned, put out in November of 76. Um, the one quote that I've got from Billy Gibbon. So he said this about Tejas. He says, it's fair to say that this is a transitional record, although I'm not really sure what we were transitioning from and what we were becoming. <laughs> it may perfect. be representative of how rapidly things were changing in the studio. That may be why it's so great. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Cause, cause, well, I think we'll get to it as, as I go track by track, but I'm like, why, why were these not bigger songs? Like there's some, there's some killer hooks on, on some of these, on some of these songs, but, uh, I just thought it was interesting. Um, they did still have the clout from, from previous records. So on the U S billboard 200 album chart, it did peak at number 17 which is nothing to sneeze about. Right. It was their last album under their contract with London records. And then of course they would sign with Warner brother records. And, um, it's that le- would be it's the last non beard record too. I don't mean yes. beard. I mean, long beard. <laughs> right here. Here's what's interesting. So first record from on the Warner brothers label, in 79, and I'm probably going to slaughter the pronunciation, De Huelo. Yeah. So I I wanted to listen to that record on Spotify because I'm like, you know, that's usually what I do. I'll listen to the record before and after the records that we talk about just to kind of hear progression, see where that, you know, this particular album choice kind of fits within the, that perspective. That record's not on Spotify. Are you kidding me? Wow, that's amazing. Not kidding. And that's a, see, that's but, that's a failure of the tech overlords. So that's why I'm gonna go, going back to what we were talking about earlier. That's why I'm gonna lean more towards Einstein than Steve Jobs. But okay, 
<laughs> right. I will say this. So somebody on Spotify, um, a user put together a playlist and they were able to piece together essentially the whole album from various compilation records that, that are on Spotify. So there's some live stuff. There's some, some of that other stuff, which we haven't even talked about the 87 mixes. Oh my God. You want to, you want to bring that up? (laughs) I mean, um, one, like one of the most colossal mistakes that any, uh, any, any band of the stature of ZZ top has ever made. Like maybe that's when you're like, "Hmm, your judgment's getting a little off guys, but yeah, they, so, so for, for, I guess, uh, in 87, they put out like a box set or CD CD set called six pack in which they re-recorded, I think, all of the drums on, on all of their 70s records and made them all sound like rat. The, the you know, the, yeah. nice. the Sunset Strip metal band, or the hair metal band, rat. Like, just the most atrocious, like, cavernous, gated reverb kind of uh, drum sounds from ev- everything that we've tried to forget about the 80s. They were like, yeah, let's do that. As opposed to... I mean, the, the the beauty of, I mean, the, I mean, one of the things that I love the most about this record is the drum sounds. My God, like if, if I could ever, uh, you know, in my recording uh, endeavors, just come even like halfway close to like the first five seconds of this record that boom, cha, boom, cha, boom, cha. But da, 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 da. like the, the 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 sound of the drums on this record are of Tejas on the original '76 mix are monumental, uh, just beautiful. And um, yeah, they they completely destroyed it with these bizarre '87 remixes. Well, luckily, luckily, what's out there on Spotify is the originals. Yeah, probably think, remastered. But yeah, I yeah. think I think there was a there was an outcry. Although when we were in preparation for doing this, I sort of like. I know did a little poking around on YouTube and it's, it's funny. Like those 87 versions are still pretty prevalent on YouTube. If you, if you look up some of these songs, so, you know, beware everybody out there. Right. Right. All right. Um, so let's go track by track. As a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? Only 10. And I, I get what you said with the only 10. So that means our top song is going to get 10 points. Next favorite, nine points on down to lowest score of one. Yep, only 10 songs. And it's nice to talk about a record that doesn't have like 16 to 18 songs on it. <laughs> yes. Right? Because we've been doing a lot of those episodes lately. Uh, and this is a really quick listen as well. 34 minutes long. Bam. So you can you can get in and out pretty pretty quick on on this uh, on this record. Yeah, this is this is this is definitely a don't bore us get to the chorus record for sure. <laughs> there you go, there you go. All right, first song is it's only love. Baby, baby, 
And this was first single off the record. The single before it uh, was Tush off of their previous record, Fandango. I don't, I don't know why this didn't chart better. It peaked at number 44. Yeah, I mean this is a this is a phenomenal song. Like this is yeah. the obvi- this is the obvious single. Uh, it's the best Rolling Stone song of the seventies. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's it's got everything. It's got everything. Yeah, the two words that I have for the for my notes for this is brown sugar. Yeah, no, it's t- t- totally. There's you know definite like uh, Richard's riffs in there, but again, the guitar orchestrations, the drum sound. There's also like you know, th- those weird sort of like funk digressions in the middle of it. Like they don't just go like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, solo out or whatever. It's like, and this is, this, this is on the whole record. There's like these, these incredible digressions. Like they're like, okay, there's a verse, there's a chorus, there's a verse, there's a chorus. And then there's a whole nother part of the song <laughs> yeah. you know, that just like, that they just like slam into. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can, I, I can only imagine that, you know, this stuff was developed through, you know, jamming or improvising or something. And then they had the discipline to be able to, you know, put it all back together in some really compelling way because uh, yeah, it's got the, it's got the punch of, you know, the stones or Chuck Berry or something. Um, it's got hooks galore but then it's also got this weird sort of like prog uh, uh, appeal. And again, I'm not a prog guy, but it's like there's these weird digressions that almost sound like, you know, Krautrock or a can or something, uh, you know, that that come out in throughout the record, including on It's Only Love. Yeah. And Chuck Berry is a is, a, is something that I, I heard in it, too. Um, but I love like Billy Gibbons and Dusty Hill have similar voices i mean to the point where sometimes one of them singing and i i think it's the other one and then the other one sings and i know immediately that it's not mm-hmm. but they're very complimentary so in this one they do a lot of back and forth and together and i think that really beefs it up i love i love the lyrics they got a whole karma kind of feel to them with the you know she's leaving me but then he has that line about uh What's it? Uh, I keep on paying the price for all my lying. So he gets why. And yeah, so it yeah. has this real cool, you know, I'm, you know, players going to, you know, don't don't hate the player, hate the game kind of feel about it. It's a lot of fun. But like I say, it's super. It's just he's a very underrated guitarist. And I, I don't know if it's because he 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 does so much that maybe he's kind of already been done. But I feel like he's very overlooked as a guitar player. But uh, this uh-huh. song is just fun. A hundred percent agree. I mean, I, Billy Gibbons is one of the best guitar players ever. And I think, I think yeah. part of it is that all of his stuff is like super tight. It's not like, uh, you know, he, he's not, he doesn't take like extended, like, you know, an indulgent guitar solos. It's just like the arrangements, like there's, there's, he's obviously the only guitar player in the band, but there's like, you know, three, four, five guitar tracks on every yeah. song and they all have a place. And, you know, similar to the way that Jimmy Page, you know, did that in, um, in Zeppelin, but, but with a completely different flavor. Again, I think in a way, even more sort of like closer to this kind of Eno, you know, Fripp thing where, which is, you know, considered this sort of, uh, you know, 
not as you know like Zeppelin or uh, ZZ Top rather is thought of as like you know this very kind of earthy you know funky band which they are especially when you you know fold in the lyrics but like sonically they're like very uh, uh, innovative and you know exploratory yeah all right let's get some scores Wayne what do you got oh with all the guitar work then he plays the harmonica too this is uh, my 10 <laughs> perfect all right chris your score i got i got an i got eight on this one but again my scores on this record are really like they're kind of all eight but yeah this i got eight on this one there you go and this is my top song as well it's catchy i love it yeah great song yeah all right next song is arrested for driving while blind was the second single off the record but only peaked at number 91 um so in a 1985 interview with spin dusty hill said that the song was not meant to encourage people to drive drunk (laughs) (laughs) it's funny in 1976 there there was a laissez-faire attitude towards drinking and driving like yeah when you, I mean, they weren't doing anything wrong. This, this was not the only song like this. Like the one that comes to mind immediately is Sammy Hagar's "Cruising and Boozing." Like this isn't a this. They weren't. This wasn't an unheard of or taboo to, uh, topic at the time. No, I mean, Dust, yeah. Dusty gives a good solid ten years when it was okay to encourage that, and then he's like, "Well, we don't <laughs> really mean to encourage it anymore." Yeah, you know. But yeah, no, I mean, on, on like on like the serious level, I mean, I'm old enough to remember this too. Like. You know what? Mothers Against Drunk Driving came out in like the what, early '80s, mid '80s, something like yeah. that. Yeah, and that was it. Was absolutely not the. It's sort of like seatbelts. You know, when I was a kid, nobody wore seatbelts. <laughs> yeah. I did like, cut those things out of the car. Yeah, these these basic safety uh, <laughs> concerns that seem, you know, like a no brainer now. Back then, were not. Uh, yeah, they were. There were just things that people did, you know? Right. And and so I, I get that he needed to kind of justify that because it's not – it really is a drunk driving song. Like <laughs> the wild, wild, wild blind is not literal. You're, you're blind drunk. Right. The, you felt the wild turkey's bite. Yeah. They left one word off the title, driving while blind drunk. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because the, because the first, the first verse even you already mentioned the wild Turkey, Wayne, Johnny Walker, Jack Black. And then the second verse is talking about breaking a case of proof one Oh two. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, blind drunk didn't fit the rhyme meter. So they had to toss that word, you know, I mean, you know, it's art. Yeah. 
There you go. Which they're probably okay that this is not a remembered song. Well, this is one thing that um, when I saw them a couple of years ago, and I like this gave me a solid laugh. Um, Billy Gibbons, while he was uh, playing a guitar solo with his left hand, not his right hand, he used his right hand while he was like like playing a solo with his left hand and lifted up the guitar so that the underside of the guitar was facing the audience. And in duct tape on the guitar, it just said beer. It's <laughs> <laughs> like show it to the guy on the side, get him, get him one. Yeah. Right. I mean, Signal. yeah. It's like they know their audience, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Wayne, do you have anything else on this song? Well, I love, and like I say, this album is so diverse. Like the first song has kind of more of a, uh, like we'd said a Chuck Berry or an old time rock and roll blues feel. And this one's like very Chicago blues even. Um, but I do love, I love the solo in this. It's so simple, but it's so killer. Yeah. And then uh, I want to know what blood grain alcohol is because that sounds, <laughs> that sounds like some voodoo stuff, like some yeah. some Mexican, you know, what is blood grain alcohol? Right. And <laughs> and would Wayne be able to podcast if he had consumed any of it? No way. I mean, I'd okay. be crawling across the ceiling like something out of train spotting. <laughs> All right. Uh, are we ready to get scores on this? Yeah. yeah, sure. All right. All right. Uh, this is my seven. Wayne. This is my nine. Dude, this is my one. But again, I love all these songs, but this is my one just because it is sort of like, uh, to me, sort of like a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's all about the lyrical pun over like a good solid boogie. Like it's, it's musically like completely, you know, in the lane, but it's not, it's not as, to me, it's not as wild as some of the other stuff that comes on later. So it's not you being more PC than Wayne and I? You can't no, no. Drunk driving. You can't no. be an advocate for drunk driving. No, no, no. I, I mean, hey man, no, I'm, 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 it's definitely not that. Trust me. <laughs> they don't mention tequila. That's the problem. <laughs> right. There you go. All right. Next song is El Diablo. Yeah. This is my 10. This is like, to me, this is the best record, best song on the record. I mean, again, for me as like a guitar maniac, like the guitar sounds on this song are completely wackadoodle. Like nobody, nobody made guitar sounds like this in 1975 when they were, I guess they recorded it in 75 or 76 or it came out in 76. This was not normal. And then not only that, but like, uh, you know, so my, my, my buddy Doug McCombs, who plays in Tortoise and Eleventh Dream Day, and we were we were playing some gigs last last summer. God, it seems like forever ago. But we were <laughs> we were talking about this record, and he was he was saying that he like uh, for many years, like his sort of like blindfold test for some people was like the the kind of back end of this song. He would like uh, put it on with and say like name this band, 
and almost everybody would be like, um, I don't know, it sounds like Can or Noy or Faust or something, like some Krautrock band or something. Like, nope, CZ Top. But like, yeah, these like these incredible like weird rhythm, like cold rhythm jams uh, that come up in this song. It's it's my it's my ten for sure. Yeah, I'm listening to it in my headphones, the the ending part, and I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sound like ZZ Top, but it is Absolutely ZZ Top. Absolutely not. And but I mean, yeah, but it, I can, I, it didn't feel terribly strange. But I love it's got a lot more low end. It, it's like just deeper, but it's got. I love a good story song, and this is almost this is like gather around children. Let me tell you about <laughs> El Diablo. It's so, it's just creates so much this, this kind of this ominous atmosphere and this whole, this, this really, and he's got that cool echoey effect on the guitar. So it just, it just sounds like it's, you know, in a big abandoned, you know, church south of the border or something. It's, it's just, but I just love, I love a good story song and this is just a great story song. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, Chris, you already mentioned this is your top song. Wayne. Eight. And this is my nine. It's great. Um, all right. Next song is Snappy Khaki. <laughs> and I mean, I it already even... it already gets points for the titles. <laughs> right. I, uh... So I got this little tidbit from the interweb. So there's a reviewer out there named Mark Prindle who did a review of Tejas. He says, there's also snappy khaki, which the band claims is a euphemism for poontang. But the actual song sounds like there's some sort of armed revolution going on. So who <laughs> yeah. knows what what the hell? That's the, that's the thing is, I I automatically assumed that it was a euphemism. I mean, right off the bat, this is the band that wrote Tube Snake Boogie and Pearl Necklace. So I'm I got it. Then the and the first verse seems like it falls into that. It's almost like teens, you know, teenage kids running off to go skinny dipping or something in the middle of the night. But then the. Uh, the mood is high. We must leave tonight. We must get away. We will join the fight. I'm like, okay, what, what is happening here? And then does it really matter of the friends we lost? It doesn't really matter because their souls were lost. Like what the fuck is happening? Like it, it's not a teenage run. I mean, what's going on here? Snappy khaki. And I always want to say chatty Kathy. That's the thing that kept coming. up. <laughs> <laughs> what, what percentage would you say that ZZ top songs are about sex? Should we start? Should we start keeping track of each you, of these songs? I, I'm not 85. sure. If I, I'm not sure if I can think of one that's not about sex. I mean, <laughs> well, beer drinkers and hell raisers. So you got. I think you got drinking and sex. Fair well, enough. and then yeah. there's some. There's driving and drinking. And right. So, uh, yeah. But yeah, drinking and sex. Typically, I think that takes up a hundred percent. So where that line falls i don't know but this, all right now this now one, i want to keep track this this song is a good example of one of those songs like um again no i don't think anybody comes to zz top for the lyrics uh like the, like the they're like no you know the poetry yeah. of the lyrics although yeah. the you know the 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 humor and the um sort of you know wink wink thing about the lyrics is kind of the big 
kind of, you know, a, a big attraction. But I mean, here's, <laughs> here's a song where it's like, well, it's, um, I don't know. Is this like a Dylan song about like revolution or is this just about, <laughs> what is this about? I'm not sure. But, Did you they know, kill their parents? What happened? Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. I, yeah. I, give, I give the I give this a nine. Also, in addition to the uh, unclear lyrics and sort of like, or I should say, ambiguous lyrics, um, the uh, also just insane guitar and rhythm stuff going on. Like, it's just it's just wacko how how tight and weird the parts in the song are. Like, this is not this is not Molly Hatchet. This is not you know like this is not like. Blunk, 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 like just some like, you know, some dudes like pounding it out. There's like a lot of subtlety. There's a lot of uh, influences that are folded in into this like, you know, kind of like blues funk format. But there's like, there's a lot of information in there, you know. (laughs) All right. What did you say your score was, Chris? I gave it I gave it a nine. All right. You're going to hate me and Wayne then. Wayne, what's your score? I gave it a two, but this is one of the songs that definitely reminded me of like, uh, like just got paid like stuff off their early records. I didn't, I did like the song, but I, I guess snappy khaki was it was a difficult euphemism to put together. And I am much more of a lyric guy, but, uh, I still really like this song. Well, hey, guys, I just want to, again, say no judgment because like <laughs> af- after El Diablo, they're all nines to me, you know? <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. All right. Uh, this was my two as well. Uh, next song is Enjoy and Get It On. Uh, there we go. There's another one for the song about sex column. All right. Um, I don't have anything on this what? other than I, I underlined, could I get some pie a la mode when I come in off the road? That, and first of all, I love this one. Cause once again, they're still changing. This has much, this has like a country blues feel like they're, they're not sticking to one thing. Um, they're, they're jumping around and I love that. I did like that it's, you know, because this is another musician coming off the road, um, which I don't know that he's lacking for sex, but uh, why? But the, I love it, the, the idea that he just wants some some apple pie with some vanilla ice cream. Like, I can't get that anywhere but here. Uh, it, this was another good song. It just it suffered from some, some real simple things. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, again, I'm not, um, I'm not a proponent of uh, the, uh, you know, lyrical perspective necessarily of a lot of these songs but my my whole thing is more with like the uh the outro jam on this which is actually in a like kind of uh musically it's very very similar to the outro jam of another uh uh song that hasn't aged well lyrically which is black flag slip it in but it's like it like there's (laughs) there's a great uh you know from that, 
the kind of main riff of the song. And then yeah. uh, it goes into this sort of like, again, sort of like, just like the, like the groove could go on forever at the end of it. Like I'm, I'm all about the, the sounds on the, on this record, not the lyrics, you know? So with this being, so I'm looking at the, the time, this is a three minute, 25 second song. You think that they could have turned this into like a eight minute long Almond Brothers jam song. I mean, I think, I think, I think Tejas could have, e- could easily in 2020 be like a, you know, three record set or something. Like yeah. a lot of these songs are like, have got, I mean, for me, I just want to hear, I just want to hear the stuff. I mean, this is completely my own indulgent uh, point of view, but you know, I want to hear a lot of this stuff. I just want to hear it over and over and over again. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear that riff for four seconds. I want to hear it for 40 seconds, you know, or, yeah. you know, four minutes. Yeah. I liked how the solo is much more rock. Cause like the whole thing does have a, it has a very country blues kind of feel to, to most of it. And then he really goes into almost this, this shredding rock solo. That, yeah. that it, and it worked perfect. Like it was exactly what it needed. Well, here's here's a little little technical thing about uh, this record too that I, I I only I only unearthed this information, you know, in the last I don't know four or five years, and it blew my mind. All of these '70s ZZ Top records were recorded at Ardent Recording in Memphis, which is hmm. the same place oh. where Big Star recorded. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you've got basically the two best guitar sounds in American rock music of all time, all being recorded in the same studio, you know, pick a ZZ top record, pick a big star record. You know, those, those guitar sounds are, you know, un, un, unreal. Uh, and I think Terry Manning um, was producer or engineer or involved in some of the stuff uh, on yeah, both. We didn't on even both, bring up Terry on, on yeah. both, on both counts. Uh, and I have, uh, I mean, you know, whatever. Th- at this point, it's all this sort of like weird secondhand stuff. But I've also read that pa- supposedly, you know, uh, I think it might have been Trey Ombre that was recorded at the same time as either Number One Record or uh, Radio City. But like, uh, you know, that, that Billy spent some time with, you know, Alex Chilton or something like that. Like they, you know. So like, there's a connection there that I, 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 again, I see that in the same way that I see the connection with these, the sounds on this record uh, or these records uh, with like the Eno records and stuff, which is, I think is ZZ Top in no way pushed this. (laughs) They were interested in selling lots of records. So why would they push comparisons to Eno or, you know, Big Star, but like from a, you know, nerdy technical like I'm interested in guitar sounds kind of person like myself, uh, you know, there's a, there's a total line there. Yeah. I'm looking at, I'm looking at Terry's credits. So how's this for some, some heavy hitter guitar players. So, uh, produced widespread panic, two records for wide widespread panic, a bunch of George Thorogood. Um, like there's, seven or eight George Thorogood, uh, fabulous Thunderbirds. He did powerful stuff Oh yeah, for them. Uh, Jason and the Scorchers, uh, did a record with Johnny winter, did a record with Molly hatchet. There's Molly hatchet. There's the Molly hatchet, the Molly hatchet connection. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so definitely 
and that's just the producer stuff. I haven't even looked at the engineer. So the engineer, um, he engineered Led Zeppelin three. Yep. Lenny Kravitz five, um, big star number one record in radio city. He did both of those. And then the stacks artists. So got Booker T and the MJs, Otis Redding, staple singers, Sam and Dave. I mean, I mean, can't, 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 can't can't fuck with that stuff you know i mean yeah. no 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 so he's got some good credits to yeah. his name so yeah all right uh did i get scores yet i don't think i did wayne your score enjoying get it on i gave it a three and my one question after looking at the lyrics is what is her fighting gear <laughs> so i don't think it's one of those big head head things and i don't think so either all right, this is my four, and then Chris. I gave it. I gave it a seven for the sounds. Gotcha. All right, uh, we're gonna flip the record over, and this is ten dollar man. I'm assuming since it was 76, was this around the time that the $6 million man was, was out? <laughs> this is not, this is the $10 man is the underworld triple threat. He <laughs> is a drug dealer, a pimp and a illegal gun distributor. <laughs> this is uh, this guy. What does this guy not do? I had to look up. So there's a lyric of, uh, coming around here after sunlight with your peaches and your preem. I had to look up what preem was. So that's a powdered non-dairy cream substitute <laughs> used typically yeah. in coffee. You can get it from rolling magazines. Make make me feel all right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I uh, took it in con- I didn't have to look it up. I took it in context. Possibly the deepest lyric on the record. Possibly. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, great hooks on this one as well. Uh, and the I feel- solo, the solo on this is great. There's like some chunkiness to it that hasn't been on any of the others. Oh yeah. And yeah. The, the, the guitar intro to this song, like this is another one again, like the drum intro on the first song of side one, it's only love. This is another one where I'm just like, Oh my God. Like the, 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 the guitar intro of this where it's, he's just like, slamming these random harmonics and like there's thud and funk and like mud and dirt and just you know like i'm like can it go on longer can we just do this for longer (laughs) i would like to hear this for longer but i mean i you know i get the i get the presentation it was just like it's like five seconds worth but like bam it's so good so good yeah yeah and there's a there's a reason why i think this was the lead lead track for side two yeah yeah because it hits you in the face totally yeah um this is my three and i feel bad about my score wayne your score a five i got four i got four over here okay 
Uh, I mean, next I, is- if I if I can just be be uh, offer some criticism, like this is also <laughs> like a du- like like mainly like a dusty jam, and dusty for me is like, you know, he's kind of like Bob Weir and the Grateful Dead, like. Like the main guy is really good, and the kind of second guy is like he's okay, but he's like not Keith Richardson, not as good as the main guy, you know. But but you know he gets he gets he gets his you know he also serves a purpose. He kind of like it's like a palate cleanser, and like he you know I'm sure that he draws in like certain uh, you know certain people are like yeah Dusty, Um, and I love Dusty. I'm not dissing him, but like you know he's no he's no Billy. Uh, and so, you know, this is also like, there's a lot of dusty on this. And, um, so I, I give it a four for that, but there you go. All right. Next song is Pan Am Highway Blues. Mm. Love this song. Yeah. And um, so, so here's some trivia. Let's let's see if you guys can can uh, can can tell me. So, if you drove an average of eight hours a day, how long would it take for you to drive the Pan Am Highway from Alaska to Argentina? Hmm. Month. Um. What do you think, Chris? How, where in Argentina? Like the bottom, <laughs> the top, like like I don't. I'm not sure. But I'm not. I'm not even sure because I I didn't completely map this out. But I I wanted to see, you know, how long the Pan Am Highway was, and it's it's pretty dang long. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm gonna say three or four weeks. Also, depending on your you know weird border stops and you know <laughs> like mudslides and whatever. Get killed and, in El Salvador. Yeah, and how, how far you're going down. So know. driving an average of eight hours a day would take you approximately three months. Holy shit. There you go. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. I don't have anything on the th- song itself. I was too worried about how long it was going to take. So um, you guys tell me why why the, you like this song or not. Well, I feel like this is one of those songs. There's a number of songs on this record that actually speak to me specifically about that sort of our band could be your life uh, era. I mean, I think uh, Meat Puppets guys are very much on record as being like, yeah, CZ Top are our dudes, you know, like we, that's what we grew up on. And like, and I think musically, it's actually, if you focus in on it, it's pretty clear. There's a lot of, uh, uh, of that influence in there. But this song also kind of sounds to me like, like, like Husker Du could have done this song or something. Like, oh, yeah. like not, not, um, not the lyrics, not the subject matter. Like the subject matter might've been about, you know, I don't know, something much grittier or like, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, more, uh, personally stressful or something, but like, um, like the, the grooves and the riffs and stuff like are, are just like right there, you know? Super tight, yeah, it is. super tight rhythm section, guitar like that, like the 
the guitar thing, like, I, I like, I'm sure those guys were tuned into this stuff. Yeah. It does sound a little more punky than rock. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Wayne, what do you got on this? I, you know what? I hear a lot of stuff. And I mean, even that the, the effect on the one guitar gives it almost a steel guitar effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like it's got a it's got it's a little rock. It's a little country. It's a little blues. Um, I love I love that this guy is trying to get this girl off his mind by just driving to the end of Argentina. Like and when he, and he's spending cash and talking trash like he's he's just going to he's going to if he meets her in San Salvador he might he might take her back but it just was a it's a great fun song but it yeah like there's just seems like there's so many cool elements to it like he's doing so much and i and this is another one where i think they they do a little bit of that vocal back and forth uh which i always it it adds another level when they do that so when he says I dropped a bundle down in Panama, I'm assuming he's buying some extra preem while he's there. <laughs> probably. I think he probably had to pay, yeah. pay to get across the canal. Yeah, yeah. He's okay. gonna pay everybody off. There you go. All right. Um, this is my five, Chris. I got I got it as five as well. All right, and then Wayne. A seven. All right. Next song is Avalon Hideaway. know this wasn't a single but wayne i feel like i i heard this song on That's the rock stations i what's funny is this reminds me of another zz top song and i never could i never took enough time to try to figure out which one it is but i think that the fact that you say that just makes confirms it for me that i think this song sounds a lot like another song that i must maybe is escaping me because i felt the same way like i I heard this song with different words on the radio. Yeah, my, my, my note here is I swear I heard this on KISW or KZOK back in the day. Well, I'll, I'll tell you guys this. I remember when, uh, I don't know, some, sometime in the very early 90s, a friend of mine and I took uh, like a, a road trip across the country. And the intention was to get to California and back. We got as far as Arizona and back. And Whenever, like there was, there was issues. It's okay. But, You're not missing anything in California. <laughs> but it's pretty good. But one of the things that we, I mean, whatever. We're, I was, we were driving like a '86 Volvo. I mean, this was we, there was just a radio in it. We were listening to the radio, and we were like, let's let's keep track of uh, the most uh, radio bands that we hear. Like, who do we hear the most on the radio? And at the time, it was kind of a surprise to me. In retrospect, it's not, but like, it was easy top, like from wow. from from New Jersey all down through the South, out through Texas and the Southwest, and then back out through you know 
Colorado and the upper Midwest and back to the Northeast, like ZZ Top beat everybody in terms of just like, uh, you know, and this was whatever, 25, 30 years ago. So you didn't drive through Texas both ways. Because <laughs> that's 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 a two-day trip. Yeah, that's a two-day trip driving through Texas by itself. Yeah, so. no, I think I think that we... I think that we passed through Texas on the way west and maybe skipped it on the way back east. Yeah. But we might have we might have skimmed a little of the top of it on the way back east. But in any case, like uh um yeah, like it was one of those things where you're like, Yeah, ZZ Top is really like this ubiquitous force. And uh, you know, I don't know, maybe so maybe this this song is one of those ones that just sort of uh you know, meet uh, like like meets everybody, like they're like, yeah. Got it. Yeah, maybe. But may, Wayne, do you think that this has a "I'm bad, I'm nationwide" type of vibe? Maybe that's um, the reason why we identify with it. That that that's that's not crazy. Like I say, um, that's one yeah. of the songs that that I I I love. And like I say, I think that that ZZ Top would. There was a point in time when, especially like after Eliminator came out, I feel like all of the other stuff got got pushed back up and, and, and everybody oh, started sure. listening to all. Cause like I say, that's when I found after I heard eliminators, when I heard beer drinkers and hell razors and sure. I thank you and all of that really cool stuff, you know, party on the patio was being played and just all this really cool stuff came up after that, at least up this way where they yeah. may have been Texas. They may have been Famous all the time, but I could see going through the Southwest and ZZ Top being the number one band. And that and that was all happening at the same time that they were like getting Miami Vice suits and re-recording the drums to this album. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, uh, Wayne, your score? A four. And Chris? Uh, I got it. I got it as three. And you guys might be surprised by my score. This is my eight. Yeah. But I Dude, they're all eights. They're all eights. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. Uh, next song is She's a Heartbreaker. Yeah, this this song is Texas, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I believe uh, that Alabama's the one that said if you're going to play in Texas, you got to have a fiddle in the band. And so Billy Gibbons said, "Fuck it, get somebody, get me a fiddle." <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, there's references to San Antonio, Beaumont, and El Paso in this uh, in this song. But yeah, it's um, it feels like Texas. Um, Chris, what do you got on, on she's a heartbreaker? Uh, I mean, to me, this is like the, um, uh, what's the stone song? Uh, geez. Honky tonk woman. No, not honky tonk women. Uh, this kind of has a, she's so cold vibe to, to it a little bit. Wow. Okay. 
well, let's open it up. Neither of those are the songs that I'm thinking of, but I'm, I'm glad that we're like, like, yeah, th- like else? musically, uh, there's a lot of space in there. Uh, no, I'm thinking about uh, Sticky Fingers. Geez, the country song on Sticky Fingers, like uh, Dead Flowers. Dead, dead flowers. flowers. Yeah, this has like kind of a weird Dead Flowers vibe to me in a weird way. It's oh, like this okay. kind of like strummy country song. But I mean, the yeah, lyrics... this one totally came off as a country song, like yeah. way too cool to be played on country radio in 1976. Actually, Definitely. probably too cool to be played on country yeah. radio now, even. Yeah, but totally should have been. I could, I could, I could hear Merle Hager doing this song. Oh yeah, for sure. Back in the day, yeah. I mean, George yeah. Strait, he loves to sing about songs about Texas. Oh sure, dropping girls. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else on She's a Heartbreaker? I, I'd like to say, I really like this one. Like I say, it had a whole, once again, another complete different, you know, side to these guys, a different, a different angle. Like, it's not like you listen to it and go, this isn't as easy top song. You like, you believe and feel like it is, but it doesn't sound like any of the other songs on this record. True. Yeah. 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 And you can. Bring me dead flowers. Okay, yeah, I I can t- now I can totally hear that. All right, this is my six, Wayne. Also a six, and then Chris. I gave it a two, but again, like I said, they're all eights. There you go. All right, last song is "Asleep in the Desert." song on the record i think in a weird way okay explain well i mean it's a it's a total curveball i mean <laughs> who was waiting for this nobody was waiting for this who no. like th- like you know again if we go back to the to the notion that you know billy gibbons and dusty hill and frank beard were you know on the one hand yeah trying to make some good music and maybe be artistic uh, along the way, but also really they're trying to like, you know, you know, be popular and make some hits and, you know, make some money. That formula does not allow for a, yeah. a sleep in the desert. <laughs> True. <laughs> no, like, yeah. like, like this, the cynic might argue like, Oh, this is, uh, you know, this is like a filler or something, but I think it's too interesting to be filler. Keep, yeah. keep in mind, they thought that, thought highly enough about this song this was the b-side on it's only love (laughs) there you go right there you go yeah i didn't know that but that makes sense yeah yeah it's clearly i mean uh it's and it's not just billy gibbons i mean not that the other two instruments get a get a lot of as much time as he does but i i agree like you had said about i mean almost being prog rock like this it, it it does they don't have to do this like they're not they're not pleasing the bass they're not they're not speaking to the ZZ top fans <laughs> yeah. when they do this so that is gangster right there yeah, but yeah. I, and so I I say for two things I I gave it my least it was my least favorite but I will say two things about it number one it works perfect as an end because it sounds like something they would play when the credits roll at the end of a movie and yeah. 
The title absolutely fits the music. Like I hate when somebody does an instrumental and it's called, you know, you know, icicle to the eye or something. I mean, this, this sounds like, like if you're asleep in the desert, like this, this just matches perfectly with that. This is the perfect title to, for this music. Yeah. I get, I, I gave it a six, but in the course of this, I was like, again, I was like, I don't know, is this 10 or is this one or like, I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly where it fits because it's obviously like completely uh, out of the blue in, in the context of the uh, album, but it deserves mega points for bravery. And then also just for like the, the music is, is so beautiful and so incredible. Um, and yeah, so, I, I and mean, so, and so kind of, so kind of random, you know? Um, so, yeah. you know, props to, and, and I think this is almost all Billy Gibbons, uh, on, on this song, just like the 80s stuff is almost all Billy Gibbons. Like, I don't think the other guys actually played much on the, on the, on those tracks, but like, you know, it's like, Oh, this guy's like, uh, you know, exploring some stuff here and, uh, putting it out there for you. It's good. It's nice. Yeah. And, and I, my notes here is, Hey, this song can't be about sex, Hey, but I think I'm wrong. I think this is, this is post-coital afterglow music. Oh, the finger pick Spanish guitar. Nothing. Said. Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. I mean, it's on, it's on the same album as arrested for driving while blind blank drunk, you know, yeah. like, so there's, there's, there's a range there. There's a range there, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, I think, you know, didn't, I think Beefheart said that too. Like he's like, all music is about sex. Like, <laughs> like you can you can you can try as much as you want, but it's not. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, all right. So this is this is the part where I say, did we cover everything? Did we miss anything? I don't. Yeah, I I think we've we've given it uh, a, a lot of attention. I think people should definitely check this out. Totally agree. Yep. Totally agree. This is one that that people need to revisit. Yeah. Um, all right. So based off of scores, here's our top five. So number one, and this is uh, mostly because of uh, Wayne and my top top score. So it's only love. I love that song. Which Chris gave it an eight. So uh, yeah. Um, number two is El Diablo. Nice. Uh, number three, we have a tie for third. So arrested for driving while blind. Um, Chris tried to tank it for us, uh, tried to crash us off the, the road with that. But, uh, uh, Wayne and my scores were pretty high on that. And then I, that guess, also, I guess I wasn't, I guess I wasn't blind enough to drive it really far enough off the road jacked up on the blood grain alcohol, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pan Am highway blues tied for third. And then, uh, rounding out our top five is Avalon hideaway, which, um, hmm. That's mostly my doing with my eight that I gave it, but I will say this. So looking at the scores, um, enjoying, get it on, barely missed the top five and she's a heartbreaker, barely missed the top five. Nice. So, well, I I just want to say, I love all those songs. So that's, that's all good to me, you know? Yeah. And, and look, we, we always, put together a top five because it's like well you know here are the highlights go listen to that look this 
this album is only 34 minutes long. I think you can go listen to the whole damn thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah I get it in on my commute. Yeah. 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 So it's great. All right. Well, Chris, this has been a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Super fun. Uh, so, so tell everyone where they can find all the happenings of Chris Forsyth. I mean, the best place at this point is uh, Bandcamp. You know, look up Chris Forsyth on Bandcamp. I don't, you know. It's not hard to find if you Google it or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, all the records are up there. Um, and, uh, you know, props to Bandcamp for really doing the right thing, especially considering all the, you know, crazy stuff going on in the world right now. They've been fantastic. And the fact that, you know, musicians have and venues are, like, among the most cratered industries from this whole situation. Um, so props to Bandcamp, and, uh, yeah, everybody should, you know, do your Spotify. I get the, uh, you know, uh, convenience and, and, and all that, but like Bandcamp is really the place to do the right thing and like connect with people and, uh, discover music and, um, you know, uh, compensate artists, you know, so love Bandcamp. And what they're doing on the first Friday of every month where they're waiving all their fees. Yeah, it's incredible. Big kudos to them. I bought uh I bought or pre bought the the new Deep Sea Diver record that's coming out in October through through Bandcamp. So Yeah, I mean it's it's great it's great to see a like a, a, a business model, especially involving music and tech, which is um built around kind of sharing the wealth and like creating community rather than uh you know hoarding it all to the top or you know and kind of you know a lot of a lot of the people who are not you know metallica are left out of the equation from the yeah the those the the big the big streaming companies well don't hate me i do have a spotify account <laughs> yeah, I, yeah i got like again like i was, I was trying to say like I, I have no hate on people for uh I mean, the convenience is real and that's great my whole yeah. thing is just like use the technology it's like it's sort of like sort of like somebody being uh angry about um you know radio destroying the piano industry and you know <laughs> 1920 <laughs> or something like that it's like it's here folks like <laughs> Like, you know, listen to music on Spotify. I got no problem with that. But like, if you listen to it, you know, five times, like go over to Bandcamp and buy it. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, As a reminder, you can find all of our episodes by going to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. Find all of our happenings on the Facebook page. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Podcast Records, while Wayne Mans the Instagram page at at Records Revisited Podcast. Pretty easy. You can find all of our old episodes. Go to um, all of those major platforms. Um, definitely go and subscribe and rate or review us. Could use those. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. I would say go to a live show, but you know the drill on that. So. Go to Bandcamp instead. Buy some buy some music. Buy a t-shirt of the band. Buy a record. We are Records Revisited, and we are out. out.